Good morning. It's always good to be with you here at uh, Bethany. Um, I may look like Steph from this part up here, but I'm not him. He'll be joining you shortly, I guess, as he's coming back. <clears throat> you know what I really loved when you started today? A visual and an audio. Get ready, we're going to worship Jesus today. And the whole section here doing the countdown clock, the louder they got, I don't know how you felt, but the more excited I got. Yes, we're here, Jesus is here, and we're going to worship him. This is great. And I just, and I looked around, I'm sitting near the front, so I couldn't look around too much, but I looked around, and I just saw that some of the faces going. Didn't you feel like that? The countdown, we're gathering together in this place where we can worship Jesus. Uh, who am I? I am Bob Cron. I am the executive minister for the BC Association. Uh, I've been a pastor for about 25 years, and for the last 19 or so, not, not all with the North American Baptist, but I've been an uh, executive minister for another conference and uh, for us as well. And uh, I don't know why, but it seems like every time I come here, you have lunch. I was, I was accused the last time I showed up and they said, how did you know we're having lunch again today? And I didn't. It just so happened. So that's providential care for me in, in my life. So I appreciate that. I want to bring you greetings from your other sister churches around British Columbia. And uh, uh, they, are, they thank you, again, that uh, we are all part of the same team here. If any of you have come to one of our annual general meetings, you've heard some of the things that we're doing as far as church planting. About a year and a half ago, we planted our first Korean uh, church in uh, Vancouver area. And one of the exciting things that is happening lately is that we are, uh, we planted a church about four years ago in Kelowna. The area used to be called West Bank, now it's called West Kelowna. And Roger and Carrie Liegman came to me, and they presented this vision that God had given them about planting a congregation, planting a church in that area of West Kelowna. And, and I just resonated with that, and we got excited about that. And so they planted this church starting about four years ago, uh, meeting for about just over three years now. The first was the beginning phase. And then they were praying in this last while. They were saying, God, what is it you want us to do now? Where should we put up a structure, a building, a permanent place where we can now meet? Because we have a good, strong congregation. They've had uh, just dozens and dozens of people accepting Christ and uh, being baptized. And they're excited about the work and thinking about a place where they're going to put up another structure to worship. And as they were praying about this, God didn't quite answer the prayer the way they wanted or thought he might. In fact, he said, you know what, instead of putting up a structure, put that money into planting another congregation. Uh, that's heavy-duty stuff to think about that. They meet in a, 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 um, a theater right now. And so they were wondering, okay, if we are going to plant, where should we do this? Well, the next fastest-growing area in Kelowna right now is the uh, Lake Country area, which is around the airport. And wouldn't you know that the planting couple, the, uh, his, the planter, his wife is in management with WestJet at the airport area, and they were just be starting to build a home in that, in that area. So the way God was working and the way this planter came on uh, was just something else. So the Liegmans have deep roots here. Uh, is Mrs. Liegman here? Uh, Roger says, hi, Mom. Okay, if you're here, um, he says hi to you. 
So after this time, they decided that it was ready to plant another congregation and invest in that instead. So thank you for all that you have uh, done as well. Uh, our last plant cost about $120,000. we are looking at a fair amount of funding as well to get this one launched, to be do it in the, the right way. Uh, so that's where some of the funding is that you provide. And we have a slide of the, uh, the team that will be there in launching it. The guy in the front is going to be the coach. He's with C2C, which is a ministry that we as a conference and association sponsor as well. And then uh, on the left of him is Carrie and Rogers at the far top in there. Uh, Karen and uh, Storm are the church planters. They're the two that are kind of in the middle and that bald-headed guy sticking over in the corner there, that would be me. So this is the group that are working together over the next while to see how this plant can be uh, launched. So part of that is going to be over the next six months or so, just determining, getting the team together, getting the prayer support together, and then getting ready to launch into another plant. So exciting times. We are all part of this. We can do more together, as the saying says, than we can apart. So this is part of what we do as an association. Now, one of the changes that came to me when I became the executive minister of the BC Association is that I don't preach in a church. I don't have a church every Sunday that I preach in. So when I do speak, it is usually 90% of the time it'll be at an anniversary or an ordination or an induction service or I'll give a report or a devotional or a special event. So for me to jump in in the middle of your series and be asked to speak is kind of something I did years ago. And I'm at a bit of a disadvantage because I haven't been here over the last months to see you build up as you look at the wonderful gospel of John and hearing how Christ is, is ministering and moving around in the area. And I, I probably will be in other churches over the next while and I won't get to hear uh, all the rest of what is happening in John. What a fantastic, exciting book that is there. So I am here, and in the very beginning, um, one of the things that, uh, in the series that I noticed, and so I, I just want to back up just a little bit to put where I am going now, put it into context, John in his writings has often used some of the feasts, the feasts that were uh, part of the Jewish tradition, and he used them as the backdrop. And so when you think of your year and how your year goes along, if you said, um, we went to Calgary at Easter time. And we sometimes use certain events in our life that kind of sets the stage. And you said, well, when we were, uh, we had Christmas at the cabin, if you have a cabin or wherever it might be. Or you might say that we had family from Ontario come over during spring break. And, and we do that in our own minds. We, we think of significant events, significant seasons, when we say something happened. And remember it in that way. And, and Jesus was doing the same thing as he was teaching and going on in his ministry. And just before the passage here in chapter 10, verse 22 that I'm going to launch on, Jesus had used previously that, the Feast of the Tabernacles. When he was in Jerusalem, it would have been sort of uh, late September, early October. And the Feast of Tabernacles was going on. And that, that's the feast that was the time of giving thanks for all that God provides. God provides for them. And they would celebrate 
the delivery out of the wilderness, when they went through the wilderness wanderings for the crops they had, for the water, everything that was supplied by God. And against that background, Jesus said, He is the gate, He is the good shepherd, He is the one who is the provider. And one of the things they did at the feast, they, they lit a lamp signifying the fire by night that God led them through the wilderness with when it was too dark. And so he had this light. And that's the, the backdrop of the feast. God's provision to say, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who will provide for you. I'm the one that will look after you. And after that wonderful teaching... Just before he left that area in Jerusalem, it says the response to him, verse 20, was, he is raving mad, why listen to him? And others said, but he gives sight to the blind. So the listeners have great conflict. They have conflict over what Jesus said, and they have conflict with each other. Because some said, yeah, but this is what he said, but this is what he does, you know, and we kind of like this, but we don't like that. I did a 40-hour online course on conflict management uh, last week. Great thing for you to get involved in. A good thing that they could have had at this point in their life when they were trying to deal with Jesus, trying to deal with each other. And then sometime between John chapter 10, 21 and 22, where I'm going to launch on today, there's about a three-month gap. And in that time, Jesus continued to do miracles and minister in the area. And now in verse 22, he's back in Jerusalem. And there's another feast going on. And it's the Feast of Dedication. And so at that point, the Feast of Dedication, if you see everything that I'm going to speak about today with this Feast of Dedication in the background, that's the passage that this is brought on. So it's not a feast commanded by God. It's not, you won't find this in Scripture saying that this is a commandment that God said, observe this feast. But what happened was there was a, a takeover, and so the, the Jewish people were being ruled by an outside power and dominated by them. And the ruler of the day, I'm not giving you all the names of these people because, first of all, it's hard to pronounce them, and second of all, you won't remember them anyways. Other than to know there was this mean kind of a ruler that was over them, and he thought he would teach them a lesson, and so he brought some pigs, uh, which, which shouldn't be in the church, and he just slaughtered them right on the altar, right in the temple in Jerusalem. That, of course, did not bring on any good feelings from the Jewish people to the people that had conquered them. But it was a sign that they are in authority and they will do what they want. Well, someone by the name of Maccabee decided that they need to overthrow this government that was ruling them. And there was the Maccabean rebellion, a revolt that was caused at that point. Jerusalem was liberated and the temple was rededicated to God. And when they went into the temple, there was only enough oil that had been consecrated to last for one day. And they wanted this to be this, this, this light that would burn there to say, God is with us, but there was only oil for one day. But for some reason, some miraculous reason, the oil in the lamp burned for eight days. And it was enough time for they to get enough consecrated oil that they could keep it, this lamp burning all the time. And they saw this as the providence and promise of God to his people. 
And each year around Christmas, the Jewish people celebrate, it's called, uh, several, you can see it up there, the Feast of Dedication. It's also called Hanukkah, Festival of Lights. Those are the same words. So if you're wondering why, what is it, what does it mean when we have the Festival of Lights at the same time as Christmas? And isn't it interesting that those parallels are there? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And the Jewish people are commemorating at a very similar time that God provides even oil that wasn't there to bring light. Very interesting that this is the time period that Jesus came now to speak to them and he comes into the temple. So keep that in mind as we go through the passage. The last encounter ended with them saying, he's a madman. Now the conflict intensifies even more. And now they say, you are blaspheming and we want to kill you. That's conflict escalation. I had this passage in my mind as I did my little course on on conflict. And you could see how conflict starts moving from one level to another to another. You don't have to worry about that as a church because you don't have conflict here. So this doesn't apply. But it, it did when I was thinking about other churches, of course. And so... We start here in 10, 22 and 23. It says, Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. I don't know the purpose of emphasizing that it was winter. It's like saying, did you know Christmas comes at uh, wintertime? Uh, Seems redundant. Their festival always came at this time of year, so I Some people have allegorized it and said, well, it was winter, it was a dark time, it was a cold time in their hearts and spirits. So I don't know if that's what Jesus was getting at it, but we know that it was winter time. And that might mean just to explain why he was in this area of the colonnade, which is a covered part of the temple, and uh, it would have protected them from rain. So they gathered there, and then 24 says, the Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Are you uh, catching the suspense here? Catching the suspense where Jesus is? If you heard a travel advisory and it said, don't go into this area. There are terrorists and they are in this area of the city and they're looking to kill Christians. Would you say, that's where I'm going? had an interesting experience with uh, my sister and some others in a group when we were in uh, Jamaica. As you know, there's a travel advisory going to Jamaica right now, and some of the areas are on um, lockdown with the army and things because of some of the violence that's there. So we were in Jamaica, and we uh, walked out of the gated area from the port, and as we walked into the area, this guy came up and said, do I have a good deal for you? Follow me, and we're going to take you on this wonderful excursion. And of course, we like sheep, we started following him. And we're walking, and as we're walking, we noticed it's a back alley he turned into, and it's looking very dangerous. Uh, I had this vision of people sharpening their knives, you know, I'm sure they were going to cut a chicken, not me, but we're walking there, and it's a little bit, a little bit scary. And as I'm looking back to think, and I said, I don't think we should be here, 
And my sister, who is just this lady of faith, she says, it'll be safe, we're fine. So we kept walking, and I look behind, and I see this police officer running towards us. And he catches us, and he says, you guys get out of here right now. This is not safe, leave now. And he escorted us back to the other area where there were more people. Uh, that's probably what we would do if we knew there was an area that we were going to be stuck in that was that dangerous. So here it says, they gathered around him. Now, that's what the New International Version translation says. The crowds gathered around him. There's another translation, uh, and it says, they surrounded him. And the Greek word that is used here is also used in other situations in Scripture to speak of surrounding a city to attack it. So they surrounded Jesus. This is the, the idea. And Jesus knew exactly where he was and why he was there. And they said, are you the Messiah? Now remember the Feast of Dedication. The Maccabees overthrew the government and they were looking for another Messiah who would overthrow the Roman Empire so that they would be able to be free again. A new leader against the oppression of Rome. No more suspense, Jesus. Are you this Messiah? Tell us plainly. And Jesus says, 25, he says, I tell you, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So Jesus said, I've been clear about this. Each time you ask me, I've been clear about who I am. He says, if you don't believe what I am saying, then look at what I am doing. And you will see it out. Check it out. It's been a busy time for me. I've been delivering demon-possessed people. I've been healing people. Look at my miracles. Look at how I've loved people and sacrificed for them. Look how I fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 35. The deaf hear, the blind see, the lame are walking, actually leaping. And those with no voice are singing. And hey, did you hear about the feeding of the 5,000 the other day? Do you not see all these things that I am doing, the miracles that are happening? But he says, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. I thought of an old illustration, a farmer from the country was visiting in the city, a friend of his, and the friend took him right downtown and said, here, I want you to show, show you my beautiful big city, and as they were walking along looking at the city, the farmer said, listen, listen to those birds singing, and the city person said, birds singing where? He's right there, they're in that tree, listen to them. And these birds were just chirping away amidst all the noise that was going on with the cars rushing by and the beeping horns, and he heard these birds. A little while later, as they continued, he said, do you hear that cricket? There's a cricket here in the city, he said, in, uh, right around in that crack. And sure enough, they looked around. There's this cricket, you know, cr making a cricket noise. I'm not doing the cricket noise for you, but it was making a cricket noise. And sure enough, there was a cricket there. And then the farmer thought a little bit, and he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out some coins. He dropped them on the street, and everyone that was walking stopped, and they started looking down to see what was there, because they knew there was some money. They knew the sound of money, and the farmer said, you know, we all hear the same sounds, but we choose which ones we want to listen to. 
My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. That's the gospel. Jesus is calling you to be his follower. Are you listening? It's easy to tune him out and hear other things, but not hear the voice of Jesus calling you, wanting you to be his follower. And not only are you a child of God, but verse 28 says some wonderful things here. Talks about verse 28 here. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Isn't that something? Do you remember, I remember the old argument. Have you ever had these silly arguments? Uh, I remember when I was in, in seminary years ago, uh, Dr. Harold Songer, one of the most brilliant uh, theologian scholars that I, I ever had the privilege to, to study under. And some of the people in class thought they'd stump him. And when we came to this passage here about eternal life and never perish and no one snatched them out of their hand, of course they came up with some brilliant questions for this professor. And they said, Dr. Songer, make up a name here, John, we'll call him John. John followed Jesus all of his life. He accepted Christ as a little child and he lived for the Lord and he was involved in ministry all of his life. And then shortly before he died at the end of his life, some tragic things happened and he just said, I give up on God. There is no God. I don't believe in him anymore. And then he died. Will he go to heaven? And then they brought another one up, which is the other side. Good old Bill over here. He, he never followed Jesus all of his life. In fact, he was a, a miserable person. He did all kinds of things that were, were evil. He hurt people all of his life. And just before he died, when he was in prison, and the chaplain talked with him and said, you need to know Jesus. He's the one that can forgive you. And he prayed and accepted Christ and confessed his sins and asked Jesus into his life. But before he had even the opportunity to share with anyone that he knew Jesus personally or do anything good for anyone, he died. Will he go to heaven? And so Dr. Songer, the man, brilliant man, that I respect very much, he said, I know the answer to that. I can tell you unequivocally, the answer is, I don't know. And that left us stunned because he knew everything. We were his students. And he said, I don't know. He said, that's not my call. Only God knows the heart of people. I don't know. Then he said, but what I do know is what the Bible says, that those who hear the voice of God and respond and follow him are guaranteed three things. Eternal life, they will never perish, and no one will steal away their salvation. Eternal life, the verb is in the present indicative sense, tense, literally, I keep on giving to them eternal life. It started when they received Christ, became a follower of Jesus. It continues as they walk through life with Jesus. And at the end of it all, it'll continue throughout all eternity. I would think that most of you this morning that are here are Christians. This is for you. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's what he paid the price on the cross. He loved you that much that the beginning 
There's no end to that relationship with Jesus Christ in your life. And I would think that some of you might be here and you are seeking and you're looking for some hope. You're looking for a new life. And Jesus is saying, I am the one that can offer you this. I can offer you eternal life, salvation and hope and joy and peace. And I can offer you a place in the family of God. Not as an entry-level servant. And some religions are like that. You come into this entry-level position, and you kind of work your way up. And if you're good enough, all of a sudden you can go to another level or whatever. Jesus says, from the beginning, from the exact moment you accept Christ as your Savior, you enter as a son and a daughter of Christ. You're part of the family. And then also Jesus gives us assurance that we will not perish. There's an interesting story of a distraught senior. Some of us are there, not distraught, but senior. Phoned her doctor's office because she was, had a real big concern. Is it true, she wanted to know, that the medication you prescribed has to be taken for the rest of my life? The doctor said, yes, I'm afraid so. There was a moment of silence before the senior replied, Well, I'm just wondering then, how serious is my condition? The prescription is marked, no refills. We have the assurance that we will not perish. Our life in Christ will never end. We will survive death and be immediately with Christ. That's why Paul could say, I would sooner die today and be with Jesus but because there are people that don't know him yet. I want to stay here so I can keep bringing that message of good news. And then no one will be able to separate you from God. I want us to read this together. Can you read this with me? It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No. Okay, we're starting over. Okay, start over. Okay. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not amazing? Not amazing? What Jesus has done for us? I have a saying, I dare you to make me stop loving you. Kind of, if if I am to be a Jesus follower, I should be able to have the kind of love that he has as well. I have to admit that some hurts are very deep and they're very difficult for me to say that to some people, especially if you cut me off in traffic. But God's love for his children is eternal. And mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, you know God loves your rebellious child more than you do? He loves them even more than you do. Why can Jesus say this? Why can he offer all of this to those who follow him? 30, I and the Father are one. We're on a roll, aren't we? Isn't this wonderful? Jesus is saying this, and the people are hearing this. 
Aren't you excited hearing this news about God and who He is and eternal life and death won't even stop us? Nothing will get in the way. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then He can do this because He is one with the Father and they picked up stones and we're going to kill Him. Whoa, that's not quite the response that we might expect. Wow. Talk about a mood changer, eh? Did I just dampen your spirits? Weren't you excited a minute ago? Poof! They picked up stones and we're going to kill him with all this good news that's there. Now, we have a word that describes God. It's called the Trinity. When you're baptized, the words that are used is, I baptize you in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus makes it very clear that he and the Father are one. And because of that claim to be God, they wanted to kill him. So Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. Which of them are you wanting to stone me for? We are not stoning you for any of these, they replied, but for blasphemy because you claim to be God. And so the stage is set now where they are wanting to kill him. And in order to deflect their rage so that he will not be killed because Jesus is not going to be killed until the time is right. And so he gives this scripture to them, and he gauges them in another conversation. He says, which miracle or good deed was so terrible? No, you're a blasphemer, and that's why. So he sets the stage with this. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God? Isn't that strange? Do you know that was in the scripture? Isn't that weird that's in the scripture there? If you go back to Psalm 82, 6 and 7, he said, I said you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men and will fall like every other ruler. And the backdrop of this, which he is getting them to look at, because he's used this word now, I am the Son of God, The scene is this, God is the judge of the world, under him he appoints judges, people who will act on God's behalf in terms of meeting out justice in the world. And he said, in that way, you are like God, you lord it over people, you you, you have the power to bring death on someone and and make that their, 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 uh, um, their sentence. So he says, if In the Psalms, it says that you are gods, you have this power. Why can I not, who does the works of the Father, be called the Son of God? Why can't you handle that? In fact, take a look at all these works. And just before they try to seize them, Jesus reaches out one last time, and he says, I have come here. Do you not see what I am doing, the works that I have, the wonderful things I want to do for you? And then it says that he escaped from the grasp. I have no idea how he escaped from their grasp. Uh, He got away. I could have all kinds of conjecture whether, um, well, make up your own story. I don't know how he got away. But he got away from them. And if we ended our story here, it would be an interesting conflict situation where we ended. But it doesn't end there. And it says in verse 40 to 42, 
Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed and many people came to him and said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true and in that place many believed Jesus. Conflict, rejection in Jerusalem. He goes across the Jordan. We see peace and conversion. What was the difference? What was the difference in those? John had already been telling people about Jesus. He'd been telling people how great Jesus was. John did not care about himself. He cared about pointing people to Jesus. Remember back, John chapter 3, 28, you had this, in, I imagine, in another service. Uh, when, when Jesus says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. And he talks about the joy that he has in knowing Jesus. And he said, that joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. 42, and in that place many believed in Jesus. How many of you have performed a miracle or a sign? I hope none of you say you have done it. John wasn't privy to any of that. But he pointed to the one who has the power to do miracles, to do things that we can't even imagine because he and his father are one. And many people believed. It's not about your church. It's not about you. It's not about your pastor. It's about Jesus. And what, had, what Jesus had done, John wanted to brag about. I want to close this here. There, there was a, a banquet that I was at at Christmas time, and there were many guests there from other countries and different non-Christian faiths. And at the very end, after a good presentation of, of God and His grace was presented, uh, the pastor ended by saying, I'm going to do something to put you on the spot to those of you that attend this church. And then he said, I want you to stand if you tried to commit suicide, and now you want to live because you're, you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Some people stood up. I want you to stand if your marriage was on the rocks and Christ healed it. I want you to stand up. He said, for those of you who had a marriage that ended in chaos and you found the strength to go on because of Jesus Christ, I want you to stand up. And those of you that have been diagnosed medically and said, we have no hope, we can't, we can't cure you, and somehow you prayed to Jesus and you were healed, would you stand up? And he just went through all these different scenarios and things. And by the end of his little challenge, almost everyone in that congregation was standing up. That's what John did. He didn't point to himself. He pointed to Jesus and what Jesus can do. And so it ends with a great ending. Jesus is my hero. He's my reason for living. He's my hope and my joy and my peace here and for all eternity. We're moving into a time of communion here. It's for Christians. It's a time of when we remember who Jesus 
Christ is what he has done, his sacrifice is forgiving our sins. But I want to also say to those of you who may be here and you haven't yet made that decision to follow Christ. If you're here and you've never made that, or maybe your hearing has been impaired, you know, we, we, we hear the things we want to hear, but we haven't heard the voice of Jesus. And maybe you've heard Jesus saying, I'm calling you to follow me, to give your life to me. Then maybe this is the time when communion is served, that you'll say, I want to follow Jesus. And the first act to be obedient to him is to come and share in this communion bread and this cup. Because you want Jesus to be Lord of your life. And you want to follow him. And then let someone know and you'll be welcomed into the family of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your message of hope and eternal life and salvation. Jesus, I thank you for your miracles and your forgiveness. I thank you for coming to us when we were hostile to you. Thank you for never giving up on us. We worship you, we adore you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.